Hey guys, just a quick note before we start this week's episode. Um, this is a deep dive episode, and the film we are talking about is Parasite. This was a listener request for us. Now, if you've seen this movie, and um, if you're listening to this, I assume you have, you know that there was a lot to unpack in this episode, and there was a 0% chance that we were going to do it in the 60 to 75 minutes that we try to keep these things at. So instead, this week's episode is going to air as a two-parter. Everything's going to drop on the same day. There'll just be two episodes for Parasite, and that way it's just a little bit more manageable. So um, hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, here comes part one of Parasite. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Welcome, one and all, to the Pause Reviews Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my amazing co-host, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you. So amazing. So amazing. Um, I'm also thrilled to announce this week, Tim, we have a special guest host joining us. Yeah, so, uh, this is awesome. I know. I'm a little bit excited, a little nervous. So please, everyone, join me in welcoming Joseph to the podcast. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you very much, Frank, for uh, for having me. I'm excited to be here. So just a quick note. We, we've been trying to troubleshoot our, our recording because we are still abiding by, you know, not only the, the rules, but just general sanity and common sense and staying social distanced. So there may be a little bit of an echo and some other weird stuff going on, but uh, bear with us. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be fun, and we're super excited to have an extra host this week. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, the echo is just going to add a little uh, atmosphere Ooh. to this episode. A little episode. Yeah, a episode. little ambiance, ambiance, seance, <laughs> seance. All right, so for those who don't know, Joseph's a, a very close friend of mine. We've been friends, God, Joe, since 2004, roughly. Yeah, he- Easily, easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a long, a long time, longer than I think either one of us would want to admit. And one of our four very loyal listeners, uh, as many of you know, of our four listeners, I personally know 100% of them. Anyways, but this week we are diving into the film Parasite, which was a listener request. And Joseph just happens to be that listener who made that request. So we thought we'd give this a shot and ask him to join us as we try to break this beast of a movie down. One thing to mention is we are in no way, shape, or form going to get through everything that you could possibly talk about this movie. It is so much. It is. We could we could do easily like a three or four parter just dissecting parasite yeah yeah and and further disclaimer too just don't think that if you you know recommend a movie that automatically gets you as a guest spot on this. <laughs> we don't we don't want to set that precedent this is this is like this is a special kind of thing yeah. so don't be right and you know the other three of you out there don't be like hey i know frank too and i want to you can't play that card it doesn't work that is so true work. um there is a monetary number you have to meet and uh <laughs> you know and you either know what it is or you don't i'm not going to tell you what it is joe just got the number right and that's all there is to it <laughs> y'all y'all had your chance before i became the permanent co-host so you know <laughs> 
to be fair, so it's funny you said that as as I'm launching this. I was like, you know, maybe I'll have like a rotating door of of hosts who join me each week, which I think is how I kind of pitched it to Tim, which I'm sure he's kicking himself now because he's like, man, I thought I was going to have to do this like once every couple months. And now here I am every freaking Sunday. But I I don't know, man. After that first episode, you were just you were too good. Couldn't let you go. I literally just spit taked water all over my desk. (laughs) And that's why you're here, Tim. (laughs) <laughs> and that's why you're here. Also, before we get started, one more quick housekeeping note. Uh, you may have seen this already on Facebook, um, but we are moving away from using Facebook, and we're going to focus all of our social media presence and efforts onto Instagram. Uh, we will still continue to share our episode announcements on Facebook, but all of our amazing bonus content moving forward will live on Instagram only. So be sure to hop over there and follow us. It's at Paused Reviews. Leave comments like our posts send us dms with requests and questions Uh, we are there to serve you our four loyal listeners tim responds immediately to all dms sent of any type or nature it's pretty amazing considering that i've been on instagram now for 48 hours and still don't understand how it works and nobody told me that hey you should make your account private right away and all of these weird random people are like hey i'm following you and now they're following me for life and it makes me feel really unsafe yeah yeah no it's that's that's a given dude it's funny it took tim like (laughs) so tim's like i guess i gotta get an instagram account and so he gets one and it was a record like 12 seconds before his account was frozen and <laughs> like, I don't know, being <laughs> reviewed. I was still you know, doing what you do when you set up a new social media. I was like, okay, there's Frank, there's the podcast and my sister and work. And okay, there's, there's my hockey team and my baseball team and all the thousand bands I follow. And then like halfway through that, I get this message that's like action blocked. And I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know next action blocked and then like after the fifth time i was like what and apparently instagram blocked me immediately as a spammer so uh i had to like cool my heels for a little bit then i texted frank like two hours later it's like i think i'm out of instagram purgatory i'm I'm out of time out i think i can friend people again Uh, but yeah who knows So I was like, this must be a record for breaking Instagram. Like, See, man, uh, when you have seven followers, that never happens. Instagram <laughs> is just like, is clearly a person and he has no friends um okay but yeah you know definitely follow us on instagram check it out there's we're gonna start putting up really great content yes we're gonna have the announcements but each week we're gonna post up specific content related to the episodes that we did we i started doing that this past week and maybe you guys have seen that you know just some behind the scenes type stuff or you know just some really great stuff images videos whatnot and as i as i learn how to use it more (laughs) then uh then maybe we'll actually start doing some things that are kind of exciting as opposed to what I think is thrilling, which is just a series of four pictures uh, related to what we talked about. Um, and, you know, some photos of my arts and crafts projects because oh, I'm in kindergarten. That joint was insane. Actually, yeah, if you haven't seen that, head over there and check out what Tim has been working on. It's nuts. Okay, so yeah, so be sure to follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about the podcast. It's awesome. We appreciate all the love. Okay, enough's enough. We've put this off as much as we possibly can. I'm so nervous. I don't I don't know why. I don't really get nervous for these shows, but it's just, I don't know. This is one of those movies you want to make sure you do justice. Yeah. And I feel like this could either go very well or very poorly. So uh, I'm hoping that it goes well. 
All I can say is, let's go find the parasite. <laughs> Dude, that question is much more meaningful than I think you even know. <laughs> I know. Uh, we'll get we'll get more to that. Okay, so like we said, we did talk. We're talking about parasite this week. Joseph's recommendation, as we do each week. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen this movie, pause this, go watch it, come back. This is not a movie that you want us to break down for you and then you go watch it. Don't be that guy on this one. You will only do yourself a disservice. This movie is a lot of things and 98% of them are good and you don't want them spoiled before you see it. I don't know. You guys agree? And I I, I don't think Frank is not just shaming our general audience out there. He is actively shaming himself and me as well because I just actively put off this movie. I was just like, yeah, it's out there. Frank and I had this discussion off air a while back about, you know, the Academy Awards. And it's always just like a list of movies, especially when you get into best picture and you're just like, these movies are too smart for me. Like, I just, this is not what I like ever going to go watch this crazy movie. Like I, I haven't seen it and I'm not going to, none of these sound interesting. Um, and so it's just like, yeah, okay, there's controversy. That's fine. It's un- not, not going to. And when the request came through, we're like, ah, all right, fine. <laughs> and like, I think uh, Joseph's zeal for this movie, we're like, there's got to be something there. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when it came on Hulu, and it had been months until I actually decided to sit down and watch it. Because there were so many other things I wanted to watch in, in the meantime. It's like, okay, f- fine. No, it's months later. Let me actually sit down and, and take a look at this and see what it's about. And as soon as I watched it, I, I immediately texted Frank and I was like, you have to review this movie. This movie is amazing. So yeah, no, that's that's where the recommendation came from. It's so funny too, because it came, Joe, you hadn't listened to the 1917 episode yet. And because remember, <laughs> we we literally wrapped on that episode. I had just put it up. And I get a text from Joe maybe the next day. So like on a Friday, our episodes air on Thursdays. So on Friday, I get a text. If you haven't seen Parasite, then you need to watch it. And that's it's an official request for the next episode. And I just immediately start laughing because Tim and I had just said, not only have we not seen it, we have no intention to see it. And I don't think I want to see it. And Joe's like, no, 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 you got now. You now you're watching it. And so we were stuck. And and to be fair, I definitely did put this one off as long as possible because and i don't i don't know why you know tim touched on it a bit and we've talked about this before but it was just one of those things where it almost feels like when you miss that initial wave and you miss that boat you just kind of say that's okay and you just go about your life i am so excited and so happy that this was recommended by you joe and that we watched it because uh, if i had missed out on this i would be worse off for it like this movie is great Okay, so we talked about, we are watching Parasite. I said, it's spoilers coming. You are alerted. If you are still listening, you have been informed. So where can you watch it? Um, I kind of talked about this too. Parasite is currently available on Hulu and it's included with your subscription. Otherwise, you can rent it or buy it wherever you get your digital content, as with everything else. So, Parasite, released in 2019, directed by Bong Joon-ho, who also directed Okja and Snowpiercer, both of which you can watch on Netflix right now. Also written by Bong Joon-ho, who wrote those other two movies as well, and Jin Won Han, who um, co-wrote this with him. And this was his first feature film. 
Not Bongs, but it was definitely, it was the first feature film uh, for Jin Won Hong. This movie was made, now this is impressive. This movie was made on a budget of 11.4 million. And its worldwide gross is two hundred and fifty-four point seven million dollars. <laughs> so this, oh god, this movie is a massive, massive theatrical success. This cast, uh, I, I don't watch a lot of international film. I don't watch a lot of foreign film, and I don't watch a lot of content from South Korea when I when I do watch international stuff. So a lot of these actors didn't really register to me, except for one of the leads who plays uh, Mr. Kim, and it's Kang Ho Song because he's also in Snowpiercer. So I had seen him there before. Uh, other than that, it's a bunch of folks that I just haven't seen before well that's not true mrs park did the concubine which i think i saw part of that once it's a really weird movie it yeah i don't even know how i saw it It doesn't matter the point is okay so kang ho song plays mr kim i'm gonna do my best guys but i feel like the actors must be named we do it for every movie that we talk about and i'm gonna try i'm gonna butcher these names but hang tight with me guys uh kang ho song plays mr kim Hyjin Jang is Mrs. Kim. Soon Kyung Lee plays Mr. Park. Yo Jong Jo is Mrs. Park. Woo Sik Choi plays Kevin. So Dam Park is Jessica. Ji So Jung plays Da Hai. Hyun Jun Jung is Dai Song. Jung Yoon Lee is Moon, Moon Gwang or the housekeeper in the house. Yeah. And Myung Hoon Park is her husband, Kyun Se is his name in the movie, which you don't really get that very much. And I use the anglicized names because that is what they refer to the most in the movie. So when you're watching this movie, you don't really hear their Korean names that often, the characters. You really yeah. hear their anglicized names. So I feel like you know, sticking to that naming convention will help folks as they sort of navigate through the film. You know, if we say Ki Woo or what, like you may not know that that's Kevin or not. He's not really yeah. referred to that so much. So that's our cast. <laughs> um, okay, brief synopsis. Essentially, you right. have a super rich family, the Parks. You have a very poor family, the Kims. And mm-hmm. essentially, the Kims work their way into becoming various service people for the Parks. And uh, that's kind of their scheme. Uh, some of it kind of starts off... I don't know, you know, sort of luck of the draw, I guess. But then they sort of process, they start the process of this con to get their whole family employed, even at the expense of the existing folks working there. And from there, as they're trying to pursue making some money and, and kind of getting themselves out of the, the living conditions that they're currently in, some twists, some turns, some stuff happens. And we will talk about that and break that down more in just a second. But generally, yeah. that's all you really have to know. It's it's essentially a socioeconomic commentary of class divide and haves and have-nots seen played out with these two families. Let's get started. First, we Ooh. usually talk about some trivia and some fun facts, right? Now, yep. I think it's important to talk about this because, like I said, we talked about this with 1917. We broke down the awards that it won, and a lot of the awards 1917 was nominated for were actually won by Parasite. 
Parasite won four Oscars out of six total nominations in the 2020 Academy Awards. Now, this was a huge deal for a lot of reasons, right? You know, we just are still coming off the heels of Oscar So White and all these other things. So to see uh, not only, you know, like there was a lot of buzz around Crazy Rich Asians with an all Asian cast. This is an entirely Asian cast production team, development team post-product like this is a south korean film and it's an international film and there have not been many international films i think only two this being one of them that have been nominated for best picture parasite won best picture best director best original screenplay and best international feature film which is the new name for what used to be best foreign language film it was also nominated for production design and film editing now as we know, there were some you know, idiots who were upset that the film won Best International Feature Film and Best Picture. Um, a lot of folks felt that an international film shouldn't qualify to win Best Picture. So, according to the Academy, films that are nominated for Best International Feature Film may also be considered in other categories as long as, A, they have a commercial release in L.A. County. A lot of people don't know this. You have to four-wall, which means play in a theater in L.A. County. And sometimes it also has to happen in New York or, or something like that. And you have to do that, I believe it's 21 consecutive days. So you have to pay to actually have your film shown in a theater for 21 consecutive days in a movie theater in L.A. If you do it nowhere else, you would still qualify, which is why a lot of movies, you know, done by Netflix, stuff like that, if they do get it, like Manchester by the Sea, they did a theatrical release so that they could be considered for Oscars. Now, there's been a lot of talk about changing some of these requirements now that streaming services are developing so much of their own content that doesn't necessarily need to go out to theaters. But as far as I know, that hasn't happened yet. Um, I mean, just we, you can go off on a full tangent about this, but like, oh, yeah, I think just this idea i mean that we're a global economy you know we are moving so far to this idea and it's it's such an antiquated idea that hollywood is is the center of the entertainment universe i mean where people are producing things in a lot of different places now so um i think you kind of we need to start moving past that idea of, you know, this LA centric idea for movies for sure. And I think this highlights that for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And now I, you know, and again, I'd have to do, it's such a big, it's such a huge thing, the rules and regulations for the Oscars. I I don't know that that's the case for a foreign language film or for an international film. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that has different specs, but if you want to be considered in almost any other category, each category has their own stipulations. Some of that might be being in LA County and and then a bunch of other stuff, just dependent on the category. But as long as you meet those requirements and considerations, then, or sorry, as long as you meet those requirements, then you can be considered for multiple categories, even as an international film. So shut your mouths, people. It qualified. Um, Lots of foreign films have won other awards when being nominated for international film. But Parasite made history as the first film to win both Best International Feature Film and Best Picture. Now, technically, so they also did say when they gave them the award that it was the first film not in the English language to win Best Picture. 
but it was not the first international film to win Best Picture. So in 2011, The Artist technically became the first foreign film to win Best Picture, but it was not nominated for Best Foreign Language Film because it didn't have any language. It was a silent film, so it didn't qualify for a foreign language film, which I'm sure is probably part of the reason why it's no longer called that, and it's called the International Feature Film. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't talk, you can still be considered, right? Um, And even though it won Best Picture, it wasn't the first non-English language film. Again, it had no language. Um, So technically, the first non-English language film to win Best Picture is Parasite, uh, since it was filmed in Korean. And it is absolutely the first to take home both awards, which is massive. You know, this is, like I said, it's an incredible win in the wake of Oscar So White and other similar movements. And after having watched it, it was so well-deserved. For sure. You know, and so, you know, as were all the films. All the films were certainly up there. But for anyone to, to, like, if this movie hadn't been considered for Best Picture, we'd be talking about that. Right, yes. we'd be like, yeah. this is an atrocity. I'm absolutely open to an educated debate on to whether or not you think another film should have won, such as 1917, and maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. But to have any conversation that Parasite didn't belong in there because it was international or any other reason is absurdity and whatever. We won't even yeah. entertain it. And I, I, I don't think we're gonna get to this uh, in this potentially part one of what could be a nine billion part series. <laughs> But um, Frank and I have, have talked off air previously that the fact that this movie is is completely Korean really works for this movie. And if it had been anything else, if it had been dubbed or anything like that, I, or even a remake set in America or something like that set in another country, I think this it doesn't work. It does not work for this movie. So it this movie is perfect for itself absolutely well we've talked about this a little bit you tim and i that it's well tim you were mentioning you've even sort of taken to watching films with subtitles right Mm -hmm. and then the thing is there's so much happening in this movie that the fact that it is subtitled and the fact that it is a foreign language film really add a lot to to being able to even just ingest all that information simply mm-hmm. because you're forced to pay attention and you're forced yep. to read it and it, you can't look away and so you are you're taking in everything whereas you know we take english language films for granted we understand what they're saying so we might look over here or do something different or do whatever yep. or not pay full attention or think we understood something but maybe we didn't i also think just the fact that it isn't dubbed is key i hate dubbing simply because you know a lot of people say well at least then i understand whatever and that's fine but you lose the authentic and original the the emotion that goes into a phrase and and just the way something is delivered you lose that and and so that would have been a massive disservice to this film as well so i agree with you completely the fact that it is in korean the fact that it is a foreign language film only drives home so much of what makes this so good yeah. Um, because it just forces you to absorb it. So we've touched on a little bit of the overall stuff. Oh, one more thing. There is a little Easter egg. If you have seen Snowpiercer, you may recognize that our lead actor who plays uh, Mr. Kim is also in Snowpiercer, and he plays a character named Nam Dong or something like that. And that is also the name of the architect that builds the house that the parks live in in Parasite. So just a fun little Easter egg that he clearly threw in there. 
feels like it fits in the trivia fun fact section. So there yeah, we totally. go. Okay, <laughs> so moving on. Overall opinion. As for me, I really enjoyed this film a lot. So much more than I expected to. And the more I've thought about it and the more times I've watched it, which is now, I don't know, two and a half, uh, I've liked it even more. This film is bursting at the seams with content and depth. There is so much here. But what makes it so good is that it never feels forced or overwhelming or just like it doesn't feel packed. It feels very natural. It flows very well. And it isn't until the end where you're just kind of like so much stuff just happened to my face balls, you know, and it's it's amazing. It's so well done. It's a massive testament to the writing and direction of this film. It was also perfectly acted, beautifully shot. Each frame sets the tone and emotionality of a given scene to perfection. I would argue that this should have been in the running for Best Cinematography, which was not a category this film was nominated for. I still think it would have lost to 1917, which I thought was just that well shot. But each role, you know, so, but it's, it just speaks to the fact that, like, I, I think that was, I think that's underestimated. And I think it's underrated in this film just how much the visuals play a massive role in the storytelling. And it's you can see it's meticulously thought out in every way. You know, whether it's driving home the metaphors or or just juxtaposing these two worlds or whatever the situation is, it's incredible. And each scene makes you feel exactly what you're supposed to be feeling, especially in a film where you don't understand the language. Um, the fact that that it all resonates and it and it feels very real to me and it's relatable has so much to do with the visuals when you can't fully understand the words, right? And so the fact that I, I think that was a snub, but that being said, um, like I said, the acting is incredible. Each role was perfectly depicted by their actor. It's really a brilliant film and, and I think it's an absolute must watch. Tim? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't agree with that more. Um, I think a lot going into it, uh, in with a foreign film set in uh, a country that I really don't have much, I have no firsthand knowledge of and not, not much intimate knowledge at all. I think you, you do have that, you run the risk of, of feeling some sort of detachment or isolation. And I don't feel that at all i mean uh, this all feels very relatable the environments feel familiar it doesn't feel it doesn't feel foreign to me for lack of a better term at all like everything is just uh really comfortable and i think yeah. that that speaks to that the cinematography and the way it was shot and like 1917 there's a lot of colors even though they're subdued the colors and this the sharpness of everything is really distinct um and that you know, fits tonally with the, the, the upstairs downstairs kind of elements that we'll get into talking about. Yeah. But overall, I mean, I knew the basics, uh, you know, kind of everything that, that, that Frank, you covered earlier about the, the controversy quote unquote, and, you know, just kind of the historical aspects of it. Um, you know, we talked about putting it off, um, but I, I admit I judged this hard by the cover. I be super yeah. honest. I was like, I was expecting a, a straight horror movie. So, you know, I'm thinking horror, maybe psych thriller. Um, so I, to say I was expecting a completely different movie is kind of selling it short, but I, I mean, really to be honest, I was expecting a thriller horror movie so much to the point that I spent the good 
hour, first hour of this movie waiting for the parasite to show up as if the parasite <laughs> was a being. And I think as we work through some of the points that we've chosen to talk about today, I, I'm going to jump in and just point out uh, part, 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 parts where I thought the parasite was, you know, going to rear its ugly head and, and, and start Ooh, doing its parasite. Thing. I like that, Tim. Spot the yeah. parasite. That's exactly what yeah. I'm going to do because that's what I that's what I did. So I really actually did. I go back. I went back and I watched this one and a half times. So I watched the first half again because about halfway through, I was like, oh, there's no parasite in this movie. Why? Well, Why do I picture in this movie? But Why it's not the parasite. Why do I picture like a worm hiding in the crowd in like a candy cane striped sweater and hat with with glasses? <laughs> Where's the parasite? <laughs> I was, you know, I'm going like full like this thing is gonna come and turn everybody into zombies and eat their brains. Yeah, so that's part uh, two. That's part two. Yeah, right. The parasite part two. So I will definitely point out those part points. So I really I went back and made a conscious effort to like reframe the the, the first half of this movie. But I was completely blown away um, by what this movie actually was. It, it's hilarious and it's yes. dark and it's deep and it's like I mentioned, it's beautiful. Um, I'm really excited to kind of break down a little bit more um, of what we get into. Um, and then maybe we have time to decide if it, it really did deserve to win Best Picture. We, we, we shall see. Mm. Joseph. What are your thoughts, your overall opinion on this film, Parasite, that you recommended? Clearly, you hated it. <laughs> clearly, clearly. Uh, no, but uh, kind of like you, Tim, I, I judge the movie sort of just based on the on the cover of it. Uh, you see, you know, members of the family with like black stripes on their faces, and you're like, "What is this? Is this a thriller? What sort? What sort of movie is this going to be?" And so I just went into this blind and was completely just blown away uh, by the end of the movie. I think I, I, I just sat in my couch for about five minutes, just not even able to, to utter anything just because I was so blown away by the movie mm. and where it took me, uh, both visually, emotionally, just there, there were so many layers to this movie and it was so deep and complex that I, yeah, I, I was speechless by the end of it. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it, I think, yeah, I knew we were all going to agree. Once I saw this movie, I was like, crap, it's so good. This will be easy. And it's not. It's really difficult. So now let's get into the breakdown. So much happens in this film. I struggled yeah. really hard with the best way to present this in the breakdown, right? And traditionally, we've kind of done like what's really bad and what's really good and kind of that kind of thing. Um, we're going to try something new this time and see how it works. Rather than that, I'm going to sort of break down major plot points and themes as best we can. And then just try to let that guide our conversation. Like I said earlier, there's zero way that we can get through everything that this film has to offer in one hour to hour and a half episode. It's never yes. going to happen. So so we're going to touch on a few key things, things that, that should immediately jump out to folks, and a few things that maybe we've thought about slightly differently than most people. But... Uh, let me emphasize that, you know, this this is so much worth a watch because no matter what we talk about here today, you'll watch this and maybe you'll see something totally different. Maybe a different storyline will trigger with you yes. and resonate with you more or or, or whatever the situation, or you'll find Easter eggs. And, and I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with leaving little gems for you guys to discover as you watch this that we don't necessarily have to break down um, and yes. talk about every little thing because you can't. 
And and I think too, our normal kind of good bad doesn't work because Frank and I have talked about this. Uh, now it's been a week since I watched it fully the first time, which is a longer gap for me than I than I normally do when we watch uh, when we when we record these. And the usual bad, the the one thing that we even considered as bad, it's it's necessary and it's forgivable because mm. the way it pushes what has to happen in the first act of this movie. So they're really, and, and it, it would be nitpicky to really say it's bad. It's just something that has to happen in the plot to just get us to where we need to be. And it's forgivable in the end. Right. So there really isn't really, there'd be no bad. So I think this is a great way to go about this movie. And like Frank said, we're not going to scratch any of it. <laughs> really? Yep. Okay, so the first thing I want to kind of talk about is is something I absolutely was not expecting, right? We talked about how we kind of thought this was going to be some kind of a creature feature or whatever the situation may be. What I was surprised at is the first act of this film really opens up with, well, the first act into the second act really opens up with essentially what amounts to a con. And, and I thought that this was, it was a really pleasant surprise. I was surprised at how well it was drawn up and executed you know i don't know i I feel like it's it's easy to lose yourself in the deep metaphors and the commentary and the and all the kind of stuff the class divide that's depicted but i genuinely believe that at the heart of this movie is this well-crafted and well-executed con game yes yeah um to the point that this movie is actually listed on hulu as a comedy oh that makes sense i didn't notice until today and i was like I'm glad, I, again, that I didn't pick up on that the first time watching it through because I think that really would have threw me. But I enjoyed the uncomfortable uh, like the uncomfortable moments first watching it where I'm like, I'm supposed to find this hilarious. And this, this is hilarious. And like, okay, great. And it just adds an element to this movie that's even better. But it, it, it is. It's, it's funny. <laughs> and this part of the movie in particular is really fun. Oh my gosh, for real, for real. And especially the Jessica character. She was, I made a note in my notes as I'm watching. It was, I don't know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes into the movie. And I wrote, Jessica's my favorite character so far. She was just an absolute trip. And like how she just sort of jumps in is is killer. So the entire thing, this con, is kicked off by Kevin's friend Min, who's leaving Korea to study abroad. And he asked Kevin to take over as the tutor, the English tutor, for the daughter of the wealthy Park family. Kevin is hesitant at first, but with some gentle coaxing, uh, and his sister Jessica's apparently incredible forgery slash Photoshop skills that she does at like a random internet cafe. That was going to be on my list of the bad things. That yeah, that was me. a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he works his way into the park complex as an English teacher. Once he's there, he immediately spots an opportunity to bring his sister in as an art therapist for Park's son, Dai Sung. Jessica, played by Sodan Park, and she was brilliant, is is literally, and I, I did say this, it's the she's the gem of this part of the story, uh, and was hands down my favorite. Um, I wasn't crazy about how they basically made her like this forgery, you know, Photoshop master out of the blue, which I just kind of mentioned. Her character immediately jumping in, like feet first into this con as if she's been doing it her whole life is awesome and hilarious to watch. Like everyone else seems has these moments where they're kind of floundering or hesitant. 
she doesn't give things a moment's thought. It's like, you know, her voice and how it drops and changes. And, and again, even being in a foreign language, you can absolutely see her becoming different characters, yeah, right? Her as the tutor is different from her as the sister, is different from her as the, the phone operator person. And she's brilliant in it. And it's hysterical. She's hysterical. Yeah, this was great watching her just kind of switch into this i spent a lot of the early part of this movie thinking about this and how it seemed so natural for her and then by extension the rest of the family the way that they just kind of integrated themselves and this scheme seemed to come really organically but it did sort of make me wonder if i missed some sort of detail like had they pulled a job like this before like it seemed so natural that like they would have had to have done this before everything just kind of worked real quick and they just had these moments these flashes where like oh yeah we can get you know i can get my sister in on this i can get my mom on this and then you never see them discussing it as a family really until we get to like the the more complicated parts of getting the moms um you know into as a new housekeeper so i struggled a tiny bit with this because things just kind of moved so quick and again expecting a different movie i was just kind of all over the place the first time watching through it so i made a conscious effort the second time to kind of look at some of the cues that I might have missed the the first time through. You know, it's interesting. There's a few lines and a few moments, right? When when Kim, Mr. Kim sees the like the letter that she made for Kevin um or the credentials, right? He's like, "Oh my gosh, if Harvard or whatever or if uh, no, Cambridge or Oxford, whatever it yeah. is, had a forgery class, he she'd be top of her class." So, this is like the first time he's seen her do something like this. There's also a throwaway line um, when she's when she's acting as the call center person, the parents are like, "Man, she's great at this." Like you know, again, it it doesn't. I don't get the implication from them from the household that she has done this sort of thing before. Yeah, but there is a line when they're in the park house during the when the parks are out camping, and they're having dinner on the floor and and, and kind of talking. She makes a comment about how she was kind of like a, like a stand-in at a wedding and caught yeah. a bouquet. And if you catch the bouquet, it's $10 more. And she had never met the person. Like, like she basically got paid to be in a be wedding a or fill out a yeah. wedding or something. Like, yeah. and, and I don't know if it's as simple as, yeah, being a seat filler, if it's more like the... Um, What's that movie with Kevin Hart and Josh Gad, where he uh, like he rents himself out as a best man? The Wedding Ringer or something. The like we- yeah, something like that yeah. exactly. So it, you know, I don't know if it's some kind of situation where they're paying actors to come be groomsmen or bridesmaids or whatever, but they don't dive into that. So it's like you have these moments where you can see that she has pretended before, but yeah. yet it's all kind of news to her family. Um, I, I do feel like. And I agree with you, but like none of it feels so outlandish, right? Like mm-hmm. Jessica's clearly an artist, right? She's, yes. she's good at art, so she could easily fit that in. They allude to the fact that Mr. Kim had driven before and been a valet before, so he's yes. done some professional driving. You know, so it's it's all kind of within the well the realm of re- reality, but but again, it like, seems like a lot. And it it seems uh, more opportunistic the kind of the second time through where it's like they just see this opening and they take it and one of the lines i really missed the first time was when min is telling kevin about this job and he's explaining that the madam is kind of young and simple and so you kind of forget that if you compare her to you know a 
an American socialite, like, let's say a Kardashian or something. It's just kind of like, you know, if you're going by this public persona where they're just not the brightest, you can kind of pull one over on them. And I think they just seize that opportunity. And what do they have to lose, right? Like, they don't know where they live. They're completely different stratospheres of society. It's not going to cost them any. What, they're going to go to a, live in a different basement if they get caught? Like, it just doesn't seem like there's much to lose. So I kind of can explain things away. Yeah, and, and I was going to say that I think opportunistic is the perfect word for them. Just because they even show you in that one scene after they've misfolded, you know, 25% of the pizza boxes and they're getting their pay reduced by 10%. Yes. Kevin somehow turns it around and says like, okay, well, we'll accept this if you, uh, you know, offer me a position and then that you fire this other guy that's working at that job now and then I can take that spot. So you know, they've, they've learned to work through the system and try to, you know, squeeze their way into whatever opportunities, you know, they, they've been able to, uh, to take. That's a fantastic point. And I had actually forgotten about that. And that, that will lend itself a little bit towards the end when we talk about who's really the parasites here, because yeah. that is, they take every opportunity to kind of find their way in to a certain situation. And Tim, to your point about the the wife being sort of on the simple side, that's how Min describes her, that was in my original notes. I was like, this makes it believable because she's not overly bright and she's not going to question a lot of this stuff. And then Park makes it very clear that he's a very handoff house manager guy. His 100% of his focus is on work. And so even when it comes to firing people, you know, he found what we'll get to in a minute. You know, he finds the stuff in his car that ends up with the, the driver getting fired. Um, but he doesn't fire the guy. He says, you know, to his wife, oh, can you think of a, of a random excuse and get rid of him? Or, and he doesn't question the wife. When the housekeeper they've had for four years or however long is suddenly released, you know, with no reason. She, well, he, he thinks she quit. Right, right. And he doesn't care. He doesn't question it. He's just kind of like, well, that was weird and goes about the his fact- business. So it's the perfect <laughs> storm of Absolutely. stuff that leads to all this working out. One of the big things that you find at the end is the fact that they never investigated these lights in their house that are magically on a sensor that just turn on the minute they come home and walk up certain set of steps. The fact that they've been living there for four years and have never looked for why the, you know, where did these lights turn on? Is there a light switch? Where's the sensor? That just further blows your mind when you get to the end of this movie about they're just kind of oblivious to their lives. (laughs) Yep, yep, it doesn't even matter. Um, Yeah, so then I mentioned the next step in the con is that Jessica springs a trap to get the driver fired and her father hired as the new driver. And she does this when the driver is asked to drive her home. Um, She takes her panties off and hides them under the chair so that they'll be found and, and then, you know, they'll think he's up to some sketchy grossness in the boss's car. And yeah. and this works, and he gets fired, and then the dad is brought in as the next driver, Mr. Kim. Yeah. I mean, this this part still threw me, because at this point, I'm still waiting for the parasite. We're good for, you know, we're a good <laughs> bit into this movie, and I'm like, okay, when's the parasite showing up? And this girl's just taking her panties off, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I just was wondering where we were going with that but um, <laughs> it was like oh is this like it follows and it's a sex ghost yeah i was <laughs> like i am doing this guy tried to take her home in her car and now all right i'm along but one of the 
a later scene is one of the funniest, I think, when they find the underwear and there's this whole scene about um, with the, the, the parks dealing with the situation and this revelation and Miss Park has the underwear and she puts on gloves and she's like, oh, so disgusted by it. Uh, it's just... It, that's one of the funnier elements. Uh, funny, funnier. The best part is that she smells story. them. Yeah, <laughs> she, yep. she gives him a sniff. It's like, and he, oh. And, and Mr. Park does the same thing when he finds him in the car. He's he like, <laughs> like, like that's going to help you just figure out what they are. No, 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 no. The best part is later in the movie where the parks are getting a little frisky, and he's like, "Hey, do you still have those cheap panties? Because that'll get me rock hard." And I was like, ew. So grody. Yeah, so <laughs> it's an awkward transition. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you come into that? Yeah. Rock hard cheap panties. Rock hard. Yeah. Alright. Speaking of rock hard, no, uh <laughs> So so I actually thought that uh Jessica was going to use the panties in the car and sort of accuse the driver of attacking her or trying to rape her or something along those lines to get her fired or just to get mm. him fired. Yeah. But just letting the parks do the mental gymnastics to try to figure out what actually happened and how that underwear ended up in the car, I think was even more genius and a lot more slick than anything. Obviously I could have come up with. Uh, so I, I, I thought that was a fantastic uh, idea on her part. Well, and not only does she... Uh, you're so right. You're absolutely right because there's so much of this that works out really well in the sense of not casting too much suspicion on the Kims, right? Because none of them are, are related as far as the parks are concerned, right? So the son invites Jessica, who's a friend, and then Jessica brings her dad in, who is a driver for an uncle, a distant uncle who recently moved. And then they bring in their mom, claiming that she She's working for some high-end service. But on top of that, it's not like she blatantly comes out and is like, yeah, he tried to rape me or yeah, he tried to do whatever. In fact, she goes the opposite and is like, no, he was a perfect gentleman. Yeah, he wanted to drive me home. No big deal. I got off at the train station. I thought he was great. Super cool guy. To the point where the mom's like, oh, Jessica, you're so naive, right? And yeah. Like, you don't understand these things. So no one would even cast a shadow of a doubt on her. She gave like, I had no problems. You know, he's just a deviant. But it's that kind of a detail, right? Like, the simple solution would be, oh, your driver tried to rape me. Like, that's how we've seen that happen in movies before. Um, but you could be easily caught. This takes a level of intelligence where you, you start to wonder, you know, has she done things like this before? Would I have thought to do that? Exactly like you're saying, Joe. Like, would I have thought to do that? I don't, I don't know that I would. Well, and they're willing to be patient, right? Because right. you have no idea that it's going to be a day, a week, a month. Like what if, you know, Mr. Park goes on a, a business trip the next day and he's not in the car for a month. Like he just so happens to drop his paper and he's so intent on looking at that business. He just so happens to drop it. Like they were clearly okay with biding their time. They weren't in any sort of hurry. And, you know, to be, those many steps ahead with that situation again it's opportunistic right she saw this opportunity she took it if it worked out it worked out and it and, and it did but not necessarily in a way that's unbelievable right so okay the final piece of the puzzle and clearly the more complicated one 
is getting Moon Gwang out, who is the longtime housekeeper, and bringing the mother in in her place. And the way they go about this is they find out she's allergic to peaches. They buy a peach. They take the peach fuzz off of it and keep sort of sprinkling it on her when she's not looking. So she has these coughing fits and everything. And then when she goes to the doctor... Mr. Kim goes acting like he's just there for a checkup and gets a picture of her. And then they essentially convince Mrs. Park that Moon Gwang has active TB. And now this was the most far-fetched one by far. But again, you know, they're dealing with sort of this simple woman and a hands-off guy and all this kind of stuff. So I guess it works. But this this is where it sort of takes like the sharpest turn. But I don't know how else you oust someone who's so embedded with this family yeah and and i'm just shocked that they are willing to go to the point of endangering someone's health to put people into putting to put their own family into these positions uh within the parks staff so it really goes to show you that they're willing to go through anything just to try to reach their goals uh, throughout this movie. So it, it, that's, that's a really interesting uh, part of it. That's true. It almost feels like as they start getting tastes of this success and getting a little more money, then they, they become a little more ruthless, um, which obviously comes to a head in the third act once sort of all these sort of these lines and all these people start to converge in this very unexpected way. Like I said, each of these threads and how they execute it is somehow it feels very believable. It feels very natural, even even the sort of outlandish parts. Um, there's enough degrees of separation, like I said, to not cast suspicion. Additionally, it doesn't overpower the film. This isn't something that the family has been planning for years. This is something that essentially falls in their laps and they just run with it. You know, you get the feeling that they're sort of making it up as we as they go. And we see evidence in this in the in some of the things that they've missed, right? So like the fact that they all use the same soap and smell the same, which becomes a, a major issue later. Um, but the son notices. He's like, oh, he smells like her and that smells like that, right? And so that's not something I would have thought of, but they kind of throw that in there in that, you know, they're not thinking about all these things. Whereas like, you know, where you see like a proper heist movie or a con movie, they've worked out every possible angle. That's not the case here. And yeah, they know it's not, nothing. It's, not, it's, it's not Ocean's 4. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, it's not like they've been scouting the house or the family, right? They don't know everything about the house. And they certainly don't know everything about all the house's occupants, which will obviously come into play later as well. But once it's all set up, the story moves on. And, and it feels like the exact right amount of time to set on... To to spend on something like this and then we're, we're off to the next thing um so it was perfect it wasn't drawn out it wasn't too much and it didn't feel overly crazy it felt good um so i, I thought that was well done it was worth pointing out and we are through half the movie and yet there's no parasite <laughs> yeah that's so true where's the parasite guys it's um, not here yet Oh no, and so okay. So so moving on, we'll touch on a few of these little metaphors and things, right? And the first thing that I wanted to talk about uh, briefly is the stone. Okay, so if you've seen it, um, uh, there is a it's a stone that's brought to the family to the Kims by Min from his grandfather, and it's supposed to bring them wealth. 
right? Um, little brief background on these types of stones based on some very basic research I did. These stones are called <laughs> landscape rocks or scholar rocks, and they were a very real thing in East Asia and came to prominence from the late 1300s to about the late 1800s. Um, they've been known to actually be pretty valuable just by themselves and sell for crazy prices in Korean auctions and other auctions and such. Um, but today they're not really as much a big deal especially with the younger generation. You know, this could be why Min doesn't think too much of it and just wants to clear out some of the clutter of his grandfather's house. Uh, but Kim sees it as a really great gift. Like, this would have been something that maybe he was a lot more in tune with growing up, um, you know, like his father, that kind of stuff. So it's It kind of struck me as like a, like a bonsai type thing, like this kind of miniature landscape kind of thing where you know it, it has a sort of reverence right if you right, had one in right. your home like it's something you cherish or take care of um you know it's obviously collectible to a certain subset of people um it was cool looking i, I kind of want one <laughs> no yeah and they were called scholar scholar rocks if i'm remembering yeah. correctly because um they were known to be put on like writing desks and things like that um because they would bring inspiration or wealth or good luck yeah. or all these sorts of things now in terms of elements of the film the stone actually struck me right away as kind of a negative. So the mm. stone is introduced early on as a gift to the Kim family from Min's grandfather. Uh, yeah, and this was uh, one of my, I thought the parasite was going to be living in this rock. <laughs> like, I thought they're going to drop the stone, the stone's going to break open, and the parasite comes slithering out with his red striped sweater and his walking stick and glasses, <laughs> and then the zombies come. Yes. Nope. It's like a, it's the moonstone, and then Peter Parker touches it and becomes the symbiote. Yeah, yeah that's how Venom yep. is born. Actually, if you yeah. watch this movie first and then you watch Venom, this is how it happens. There we go. Yeah, there yeah, we yeah. Go. yeah uh, but alas, no, Parasite, no, it's yep. not in the rock. Not happening. Um, however, while it does prove to be an important part of the movie in one regard, which is the end, uh, it just kind of falls flat and just never really amounts to much. And so we're told at the beginning that the stone is meant to bring wealth to the family that owns it. And at first it seems, and in a way it seems to work, right? After taking possession yeah. of the stone, the Kim's financial situation has changed and they start gaining employment and serving the Park family. So to call the stone unimportant in the film is impossible, right? Because at the end, it's eventually the weapon used to nearly kill Kevin. <laughs> yeah. uh, but other than that, it, it really doesn't seem to amount to much else, right? So when the Kims, there's a, there's a portion of the film where the Kims' home floods and they end up sleeping in a gym. And Kevin just starts like ranting to his father how the stone is drawn to him and how they're connected. And I remember watching this and being like, why? You know, like, how how is this a thing? You know, there, you never really see that play out other at any other point in the film. You know, I don't know, maybe what he's drawn to is the idea or the promise of wealth and not necessarily the stone, but still it felt like a cheap ploy since there was really nothing else in the film to reinforce that claim visually. And, and this isn't, a, you know, this hasn't played out, like Tim has been pointing out, as a supernatural yeah. film in any way. Like, it's not like right. the Jumanji game that it's calling to him or, or like right. the ring and it's whispering, right? Like, you see none of the normal tropes you would expect to see. And in fact, he right. goes the vast majority of the movie not even messing with the stone. The only time we really see him drawn to it is when the flood happens. And then he's like well, hugging it like his precious well, there's one time before that where his only inclination was to grab it to beat the guy who's peeing, 
on the side of their house. He grabs it right. to run outside, and but that's like, just because it's a heavy bashing item. Yeah, and his dad's like, "Oh no, no, no! no you know, just use this," and he hands him a bucket of water or something right. instead. And it's like, yeah, it, that in the flood, you're like, okay, you see them, you see his mom kind of scrubbing it earlier on. But as we laid out before, it's it's kind of means something more to the older generation. Um, but yeah, he's 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 not really done anything strange with it to this point, right? Yeah, I just found it kind of funny that, I mean, he, he keeps talking about how the stone is drawn to him and, and how he keeps following him and things like that. Uh, and, you know, just to touch on what you've already said a little bit, Frank, about that literally, it's literally drawn to him, to his head, uh, and then ends up popping <laughs> his, his, that severe brain injury, his head injury. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a little too uh, literal uh yeah, yeah, Joe. I, I guess I'll, I'll buy that. If, if you define it's drawn to him as projectile thrown at his skull by another man who's been hiding in a basement for years, like, yeah, I could see that. He's it's drawn to him. Yeah, there's so many things that could be drawn to me if they're rocketed at my skull by another person. But to be fair, it didn't have to be there in the first place. He brought I mean, it there. What did it? But, I, but again, know, I, because I, you saw it, he was like, "Oh, here's my bashing instrument." You know? Right, right. I mean, he's not going to go with a jug of water and waterboard this guy. To death. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. So all that being said, it actually turns out that this sense of annoyance or even outrage that you might have um, is is writer-director Bong, jo- Bong Joon-ho's plan all along. So in an interview, I think with Vulture, don't quote me on that, but uh, he did an interview where he discusses how Korean film goers are famous for their deep analysis of film and looking and searching for any possible metaphor, deeper meaning um, in the otherwise seemingly obvious. Right. This is uh, I love this because, I mean, obviously, again, I've been expecting a different movie this whole time. But um, John Lennon famously did this with later Beatles songs when people started trying to dig into meanings of songs and attribute stuff like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds um, or looking for these these clues in this conspiracy that Paul McCartney died early in the in their career in the early 60s. He got so fed up with that that he wrote I Am the Walrus just from different pieces of songs that he had floating around and made it as batshit as he could because he got tired of people just digging into this and say, oh, they mean this or, oh, it means that. And it's like, it's just a song. There's nothing more there. So it's it's really amazing. And I think we'll see this play out at the end in the closing scenes of this movie. Um, kind of is that last kind of gut punch to this idea of like, ah, 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 yeah, faked you. You know, it's interesting knowing that. I wonder if he was maybe inspired by Lennon doing that and said, yeah, I'm going to do that with my movie. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's an interesting idea. I just I, I love how I love when you know directors are obviously keyed in to their audiences enough to be like, nah, I'm gonna mess with you, and it just adds another level to this movie, right? right? It just adds a, another onion peel to it, you know. Oh yeah, and so so what Tim is alluding to is is basically when Min gives Kim the stone, Kevin is the first to speak, and his line is, "Wow, it's so metaphorical." And this was intentional on part of the writer. And and he states in the interview that he wanted to see how the audience would handle one of the leads outright telling them that the stone was a metaphor and to challenge whether or not it would still 
be a metaphor if you were told it was one. And so, you know, he, he puts this stone in there on purpose to sort of say, and, and point blank say, it's a metaphor. It's funny because Kevin, and, and I didn't research this, but as we were sort of talking offline a bit about um, Daisong's painting, the, the, the Park Kids painting, it's the second time Kevin looks at it and says, it's so metaphorical. Right. So we were kind of having a conversation about, well, is the painting really the self-portrait that he says it is? You know, uh, Kevin thinks it's a chimpanzee. Joe, I think you were mentioning you thought maybe it was the, the basement dweller. Oh, no, that was Tim. So Tim was mentioning that maybe it might be the basement dweller, which I immediately was like, oh, and now I'm thinking about it. And it's the second time where Kevin says it's metaphorical. So maybe it means nothing. Yeah. And actually, Kevin says it for a third time, too, when they're in the driver's cafeteria. Uh, and they're eating there or getting their food and putting it on the plates. And he's talking and he says, oh, this is so more metaphorical that we're eating here. Uh, oh, so yeah. I think, I, think he, I think he says it three times throughout the movie. And actually, uh, Tim, now that you mentioned, you know, that Kevin carries this rock. So that rock doesn't even have to be at the park's home. That Kevin carries it all the way there. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm falling into the Korean analysis of the movie <laughs> yeah uh just reading into things that i probably shouldn't be reading into things but I'm, I'm wondering if this is supposed to be also some metaphor just talking about sort of how the poor and oppressed in society can carry with him all these hopes and ambitions uh because the stone is supposed to bring wealth and so if you're holding on to this and, and hoping you can succeed and attain wealth but by the end of it you end up failing and you get crushed by your own hopes and desires and that, you know, by the end of it, it's, it's, it's completely useless. So I don't know, just, so just a random thought that I had, uh, which I mean does fit totally with the movie. So I don't know. It's interesting. Oh, Joe, man, that's so metaphorical. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I think that's a great point. I think that's exactly what yeah. it is. When I kind of spoke to that a little bit too, in terms of all of a sudden it kind of becomes as precious and it's, I mean, this stone is, they have seen success, right? Since they got the stone, their their lives have changed. You know, we still see them in the same house and stuff, but they're eating at restaurants and doing all kinds of things. Uh, the dad even makes a comment about how if they pool all their salaries together, they are very well off. And so yeah, I think this absolutely is a sign of like what he's drawn to is the promise of wealth and, and the fear that, you know, maybe if they lose this, they lose all of that, which they lose the stone and they lose everything. So, you know, they end up worse off in the end than they were in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I think you could also sort of attribute those, those ideas to like, they're kind of undone by themselves, right? They've created this opportunity for themselves. And then they're also undone by their own actions. You know, if they never decided to camp out in the park's house for a night, this could have went on for forever. You know, like we might not have, ever had an issue with it you know if they had worked out a better deal with moon and her husband then you know maybe maybe everyone continues on but there is a again a metaphorical idea that like you know kevin created his own demise by what he brought into the situation that didn't need to be there in the first place so you know are we are are we playing into the director's hands like joe said or you know do we need to like zoom back out a little bit but um yeah it's just I spent way too much time wondering about this rock and whether it had the parasite in it. <laughs> that was true. And, and I wanted to point it out simply just because, like, on the surface level, it was disappointing to me that it wasn't more obviously deeper. 
And, you know, but again, I mean, in the end, it still has meaning, even if only at the very surface level of foreshadowing the upcoming near death of Kevin. Um, But this uh, this really just illustrates very well how not only this one item, but all the sort of tangents off of it, right? Like if this, then that, or what if they had come up with a better deal with Moon? And what if there's so much that you can pick apart and think about um, that we really can't touch on everything, but but it's all there for you. And it just makes it even more awesome to watch. All right, folks, so that just about brings us to the midway point of this episode. Do not worry. Part 2 is already up and available. It's episode 12, Parasite Part 2. So if you're ready to keep diving into Parasite, just hop on over to the next episode and keep on rolling. Otherwise, it'll be there waiting for you. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting us. Um, Continue to support us. Subscribe and download and stream wherever you get your podcasts. But also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, at Reviews And shoot us messages, comments, recommendations, questions, requests, anything. Anything and everything. Be sure to rate us. And most importantly, tell your friends, tell your family. If you're enjoying the show, let people know. The more, the merrier. So, thank you all so very much and we will catch you in just a second on part two